Welcome everyone to the Property Journey Podcast, uh, Beginner to Expert. Myself and Roy are back again and today's topic we are going to be talking about the rental market mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland um, and just in general as well. You'll be able to find some of these tips will also be helpful um, across all markets. So I've made a lot of notes. You're in for a bit of a grilling. Um, hopefully you'll be able to answer them all. And, no problem at all. We'll, we'll, we'll get stuck in. So obviously the first thing I want to talk about then is the overview um, and the current trends and, and maybe not just Northern Ireland, but across the, the rental market itself. Um, like what sort of things have you seen in the market in terms of those trends and those? In the rental market, you, you always, there's a, a continual number of people coming into the market as in they're moving out of home and they're looking to get a new home, whether it means they're looking to rent or looking to buy. What we have seen in the last, probably in the last three to four years, we're seeing actually a lot of first time buyers getting younger and younger. So it used to be a lot of people rented mm-hmm. early on in life, whereas now we're seeing first time buyers are getting younger as well. And that's something that I was going to touch on. Is that kind of nearly like a, a first step for a lot of people is, I'm living with my parents, I want to move out. I maybe don't want to commit myself to a mortgage straight away. So the rental market is like the first step to see, can I basically sustain living in a home myself? Yeah. Would, would that be a fair assumption? Yeah. yeah. Well, firstly, everybody always wants that stage in life. It just becomes that point in life where you want to move out of, of home, particularly if you haven't went to university or anything like that. So yes, the first and easy step is jumping into the, the rental market. It's fairly cost effective to get into it because you know, a deposit for rent in a house, you find a month's rent and that's your deposit and then you find your first month's rent up front on top of that. And it could be something where you actually rent a house that is furnished depending on the area. Sometimes that's quite a, a popular uh, means to go down so it actually can be very cost effective to get your own, your own space. And I suppose actually as you say there, a, a month's rent compared to if you're, buying, yes, if you're buying a house, you're talking maybe 5%, 10%. So you'd yeah. be looking at, you know, 17,000, 15,000. You know, it's a considerable difference. And like, are we seeing at the minute, because I, I do notice, obviously, when you read the news or there's constant maybe news articles and stuff like that there coming out about the rental market, <laughs> is it becoming quite competitive for properties in terms of even, even renting? You know, we've had discussions about how busy and competitive the the housing market is Mm -hmm. um if you're buying a house but is the rental market the same the rental market is very very competitive at the minute there's a a, there's a lot of people looking to rent and there's not enough houses available for rent so you know at the minute there's dozens upon dozens of people applying for the one the one property so it's always best to you know you need to stand out from the crowd effectively so if you can have good references uh, have your deposit um, you know, have two people maybe applying for the house as in you and a partner rather than you by yourself because that shows affordability and very simply be prepared you know, have all your paperwork sitting ready so that whenever a house comes up available you can go and look at it and you've got all your paperwork sitting ready which means you're, you're hitting, the, hitting the ground running yeah so I suppose when a landlord or whatever is obviously or if it's through an agency or, or whoever's marketing basically the mm-hmm. property when they ask for those, you have it 
you have it all sitting there ready and I to suppose go. if you have it sitting ready and you're able to put that to them straight away there's a chance they'll consider it and you could be the lucky one snaps it up exactly yeah and like obviously if we're saying that it's becoming highly competitive is it, is it because there isn't enough properties is it more people's looking for it is there not enough landlords is there yes two, two, two points are actually in one without actually realising it so yes there's not enough properties and probably the main reason for that is there's quite a few landlords have decided over the last couple of years maybe it's time to get out of the market quite a few people have got out of the market simply because they were what's known as accidental landlords they had bought properties during the last boom mm-hmm. they've then been sitting with them during the last crash so they've been sitting with those houses since maybe 2007 they didn't want to be landlords the house prices have got back up to well past to what they paid for them and us and they just now want out of the the market so we're you know a lot of those property owners those houses have been sold and quite a few of them probably have been bought up by home owners so that has reduced the number of properties available then for people to rent and then when you add on to that with a growing population and we're hitting the next batch of of young adults moving out of home looking to rent so when you combine the two together that creates a, a shortage of houses so like obviously i wanted to talk about then obviously the the pros and cons of renting compared to home ownership mm-hmm. um there's obviously some people that are more than happy if they have to rent the rest of their life they're happy doing that some people are renting maybe at the minute but want to move into home ownership is there is there pros and cons between each of them obviously i suppose a lot of it boils down to personal circumstance it's completely personal everybody has <clears throat> excuse me everybody has their own own desire so for instance very briefly to run through the difference so the benefits of renting a house uh, we've already said it you don't have to worry about a large deposit um, you can actually move from from house to house you can maybe set up costs are a lot less you can maybe get a house that is already furnished your maintenance costs are a lot lower so you know if there's a, a plumbing issue or you know a, a maintenance issue a landlord is generally going to, to cover that for you the downsides to renting is that you're you don't know how long are you going to actually have the house for you might have a tenancy generally it's for six months or 12 months but after that six or 12 months there's no guarantee that you're actually going to remain in that property so you know there's a lot of uncertainty there and then also sometimes there's the traditional the gripe with will a landlord actually repair you know things that's wrong with the property and you're left in a property that's maybe you know faulty heating or cold or damp or, or anything like that compare that to owning your own property you know it, it, it's everybody's dream and vision to, to own their own house it's it's an asset that you're 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 working every month that you're paying money into something that is actually yours you can then put your own stamp on the property so if you want to paint it you can paint it if you want to change the kitchen you can do that whereas in a rental property you can't do that and then ultimately you know, it's a property then that if, if the property rise if the property prices rise you're gaining off the back of it and it could be something you either cash in you have extra money or you simply move to a different area bigger house and just just keep progressing that way just just to touch on the point obviously that you made there about uh <clears throat> excuse me um doing up 
you know, or painting a rental property or whatever, mm-hmm. you could go ahead maybe and do that. Your landlord's probably going to be more than happy for you to do that. Generally, you have to get asked for their permission, first of all, yes. But if you're doing that, you're doing up essentially someone else's That's home. It. Yeah, you're, adding, you're potentially adding value to somebody else's property. So you, I suppose it's a, a sticky situation. You want it to be as nice as possible, but if the landlord's not going to do anything and you decide to, you're doing it off your own back your own, and potentially for someone to move well. in in six months time or 12 months time mm-hmm. <clears throat> i suppose then when you balance it out a rental property allows that flexibility as you said you know if you're maybe in a house that you're not particularly happy with once your lease is up you can move on and choose somewhere else to live mm-hmm. a mortgage is obviously tying you down but then you're tied to what you can do yeah you know in terms of a rental property whereas if you own your house or you're currently paying the mortgage in your house it's up to you to do what you want and it gives you that that option um i suppose then there's a number of challenges faced by renters then in terms of like rising costs limited supply i've noted down and obviously then the competition you know is is this now especially with interest rates rising, inflation's obviously high, landlords are now facing higher costs and that could be from whether it's their mortgage or also then maintenance, you know, these types of things are now beginning to rise. Mm-hmm. Is this why it's having such a severe impact on renters? There's a number of factors at the minute which are, are pushing, up, pushing up rents. So the shortage is worse as was one thing first of all. So obviously, if there's a shortage, some landlords can see that and the advantage, and they put the put the price up. Also, if they have a better product, they feel as if then well, if there's a better product, they've invested more money in the property. Or I ask for more rent as well. Inflation, so the cost of living has increased as well. So that's an add-on impact into it. And then also, yes, interest rates are going up. So the the investor or the landlord their mortgage is potentially increasing every month uh, or sorry increasing as the interest rates have increased recently and then therefore they're trying to claw back that by increasing the rent so for instance over the last six months rents have, have risen phenomenally uh, very briefly a property i'm thinking of a, a two-bedroom property in portadown could have went from maybe 450 475 pounds per month that could be going for as much as 600 625 a month at the minute so it's a significant increase in the last 12 months like you're probably chatting there if i'm doing roughly about a 25 percent, 30 percent increase on rent yeah and i suppose off the top of my head and i don't want you to quote figures here or anything like that there but in terms of the rent on a property now compared to potentially a mortgage is there much of a difference you know it is actually it's quite difficult to, to work out uh, off the top of my head in theory and on average generally the cost of owning a property should be lower than what it is to to rent a property and normally that is also when you're factoring in with a uh, paying your rates as well for the property but certainly if you speak to a mortgage advisor, they'll run through the figures with yeah. you on that. It's quite difficult to say at the minute because the interest rates, 
the banks have maybe in, increased their rates at the minute because they're not quite sure are the Bank of England going to go again or they're not. So it's a wee bit, you know, knocked out of the usual yeah. sink at the minute. But uh, just to, to, to throw a curveball in, you know, you could also consider co-ownership, which is a government-backed scheme which allows you to buy a house with a smaller deposit and that can also work out more cost-effective compared to renting a property as well. I, I, I think I've actually, I don't know where we are, probably going slightly off topic here, but that co-ownership, is that's essentially where the government owns. So you, you, you work out a percentage as to how much money you can put into it, and, I, and it could be something whereby it's a government scheme, they maybe own 50% of the house, you own 50%, or it can be 60, 40, it can literally be any percentage that, that that's worked out but it's a very cost effective way of getting onto the property market with little or no deposit there are opportunities when you can buy a house without actually putting down any deposit uh, I suppose that's probably a new topic that we could discuss at a, at a later date we'll, we'll maybe not get too much into that but I, I do remember I dread quite a bit about co-ownerships mm. and, and I do know that they are becoming quite popular now yeah. in terms of and because Obviously, the younger generation, I suppose I could even describe it as my generation, are probably struggling to get on to the property market because of how high the costs are. Mm. And, uh, well, another point actually to talk about, and again, we're completely off topic here somewhere, but I was watching a Martin Lewis uh, video. Uh it's maybe two days ago, three days ago, and he was discussing about people uh, waiting on interest rates to come down uh because... 0.5% 0.5% was the new norm and what he was trying to say was they may come down but if you look at the graph over a hundred years the last 10 years has been such a big you know, anomaly yeah. that we can't expect it to go back down to not 0.5% so it's it kind of I think we touched on it in the last podcast uh, that it was 5% is kind of the average for, for a good for a good economy it's 5% which is where we're currently at so yeah. we kind of nearly need to gear ourselves around to well this is what it's going to be and and if, if we're really going to go for it then you've got to understand that 5% interest rates is where it's going to be yeah. and not rely on it to drop down now it's just just your your cost of living just has to be has to be tweaked you know uh, back years ago whenever i was looking about buying the first home your main priority was your mortgage and paying for your house paying for your car and then anything that you had left over was basically your your luxuries you know you know going out for a bite to eat getting a coffee your clothes things like that we have maybe been spoiled over the last five years or yeah. so with costs being so low whereby we had maybe too many luxuries you know going out every day for lunch going out every day for coffees yeah. so unfortunately we need to maybe swing that back a wee bit and if you do that it, it should make owning a house you know a bit more affordable and i suppose the the, the thing about it is as well is is that you could maybe go down and you know for example a bag of chips used to be a pound ten or a pound twenty, it's maybe four fifty now. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the cost of everything has increased and obviously now because the interest rates and mortgage rates were so low, mm-hmm. now that they've increased, everything else had already increased. It's kinda now finding that oh, maybe maybe didn't see the prices of everything else gradually increasing over the last ten years. Now that mortgages have finally went up, yeah. It's kinda hitting home now. 
yeah you know and as you say them them luxuries aren't affordable anymore you know and there were luxuries that became part of a normal life which probably I'm going to sound a bit boring here but unfortunately they have to become rather than the normal day to day day to day you know enjoyments to more so luxuries yeah yeah uh, it's, you could go around in circles as well, you know, and discussing. You do hear a lot of people saying about, you know, cancel your Netflix, you know, subscription or whatever. But when you weigh it up, you know, at ten ninety nine a month or whatever, probably isn't really going to make that much of an impact on the direction that you're trying to head. It's it's there's different things I suppose that you could look at, and it's really probably honing in on where you're. The most cost is going out, mm-hmm. you know, because as I say, a ten ninety nine Netflix subscription isn't going to make that big of a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a lot of people saying that it's it's basically you have to go by what your income is rather than uh, different areas. So to get back on the topic, <laughs> which was the rental market and, and not co ownerships and everything else, um, I wanted to discuss kind of the the tenant rights and responsibilities. Um, well, maybe not go too much into it, but it was more looking at those lease agreements as you as you were uh, discussing, um, the likes of what your deposits are, where does maintenance fall, you know, from a tenant's perspective, perspective in the rental market, those lease agreements that that's essentially up to the the landlord to set them, but where does the tenant fall into that? So generally a lot of landlords and a lot of agents would use like a standard template of a lease and the, the, the in practical terms or in, in legal terms the tenant would pay a deposit which is normally equivalent to one month's rent. That's paid up front and that's protected in a government scheme so it's kept away from the landlord, kept away from the tenant and it's, it's, it's shielded. That is there to protect the landlord in the future, for instance, for maybe rent arrears or damages to the property. And that's looked at at the end of the tenancy. I can come back to that very shortly. You then normally sign a tenancy which is either for six months or 12 months. It's unusual to sign a tenancy that's any longer than that. So that normally locks the, the tenant in and locks the landlord in for that period of time. So in theory, if it's a 12 month tenancy, that's you, you cannot move out of that property within the first 12 months. For responsibilities in the property, the landlord in theory is only responsible for the likes of the structure. So the likes of the, the outside walls, the, the, the roofs, and the mains water, mains electric, and main heating for the, the property. In theory, it should be you know, like if a door handle breaks or you know those wee small things or cupboard door breaks. Strictly speaking, that should be a tenant is responsible mm-hmm. for that. Although we just have become accustomed whereby tenants then pass that on and expect the landlords to do that. The maintenance of a property, the inside of it, it is up to the tenant to, to maintain that. So, you know, keep the walls nice and clean and fresh. If they want to decorate it, they can decorate it. But anything that they do to the property, they have to get the permission of the landlord. If they do something that doesn't get permission from the landlord, then that deposit that I talked about earlier is at risk. Once the tenant then leaves the property, then at that point they have to leave the property back to the the state and the condition that they found it. 
except for general wear and tear. So general wear and tear would be a couple of marks maybe on a wall or a bit of dirt on the, on the, on the carpets, not completely holes in the carpets yeah, yeah. and chunks out of the walls sort of things. If you don't leave the property back in that similar condition, then that deposit is at risk of being forfeited, either part of it or all of it. And likewise, if your rent isn't paid up to date as well, then that deposit can be taken as part of the, the, the money due to the landlord. On that note, some tenants think that that deposit is basically it, it's capped, so that if there's more damage or anything, well, that deposit covers it, but no, it's only that amount of money. The landlord can pursue you for even more money, for more damages, more losses, if that is the case. So for example, if my deposit or what the, the was it sitting in that pot was say for example 400 pounds, mm-hmm. but the carpet was completely ruined and it was maybe gonna cost 1500. Yes. They can come after me for the, the, the rest of the money then to cover that. Yes. And it, because it, I suppose when you, you hear a lot of, of chat about landlords and, and they're taking deposit monies because of small amounts of damage and, and stuff like this here. Like, is there protection in there for from a from a tenant's perspective? You know, what can a tenant do to kind of make sure that the property stays up to the standard so that they know they can get that deposit back at the end of that that lease agreement? Well, a tenant and a landlord can both be protected by way of like a check-in condition report. So that can either be done it should be done by the agent or it can be done by the landlord which basically means that you know photos are taken of the property it maybe points out if there's a damage already caused by a previous tenant and that's all photographic evidence to show that this was the condition of the property before the tenant moved in you do the exact same sort of a report once the tenant moves out and there's your two comparisons and then you've got a third party arbitration company so the deposit scheme company that holds the money they're they're the folks who then actually decide so for instance once a tenant moves out you can either negotiate between the landlord and tenant directly to say right well this is how much you're getting is that agreed and if that's agreed everybody walks on if it's not agreed then it goes to arbitration within that tenancy deposit scheme they look at the evidence that's provided to them by the landlord they look at the evidence provided to them by the tenant and they take a non-biased approach and they make a, a decision and on that point they make that decision as to who gets what of the deposit and then it's returned after that and whenever it was obviously you know as I said before in the first episode, I'm the beginner, so I'm kind of learning as I go along um, beside you. So I, I was reading about renter's insurance. Is there, is there such a thing or... Well, your, your insurance is really, renter's insurance is really only going to be covering the contents of the property. So say for instance, um, you know, your, your, your table, your chairs, your sofas, your electrical goods, your, your, your you know, iPad and different things like that so that if there's a leak in the property maybe there's a flood in the property maybe there's a fire a burglary anything like that that would cover those items that technically wouldn't be covered by the landlord's insurance a landlord is only compelled to have buildings insurance so that means if a house burns down well, the landlord should have insurance to rebuild the property, but unfortunately, everything that was inside the property 
is, is gone yeah. so that's why it's best for a tenant to have insurance in place to cover those items so essentially as you say there then the landlord's kind of buildings insurance uh, the, the renter themselves should have contents insurance should, yeah. for, for themselves and, and any of the, the possessions that they have then yeah because that's what I was curious because uh, I was reading and I was doing bits and pieces and the next one I flashed up and it was kind of I must ask Roy what, what, what that was covering um, so finding the right property there's obviously lots of websites out there now there's there's different agents um, estate agents are obviously advertising rental properties some of them potentially have um, landlords you know management mm-hmm. they're looking after the, the management of the properties as well um, within the estate agent is there a I suppose there's no real best way to go and try and find a rental property finding a rental property is no different actually finding a property that you're going to buy so it's all advertised through the same the same platforms mm-hmm. and likewise you can do it the manual way by going around each estate agent and saying you know let's take a look at what you have or you simply go to the search engine platforms that will cover a whole wide area and you simply go you take a you view it you take a look at it you check the area does it suit your needs and you put your application in for it so uh, essentially the, the same way as what you would do with buying a house you yeah. kind of go through your checklist find out whether or not you maybe need schools or uh, what's what's in the local area around you is there enough shops are you close to home or you you know all that kind of stuff then mm-hmm. and then find the property that you want and you're back into potentially a competition yeah they, they try and secure the property um, obviously once you've done that and you find the property that you want you touched on making sure you did all your your paperwork so mm-hmm. like kind of what what's involved in those applications like obviously there's credit checks there's um i've noted down then obviously your references from is that from previous landlords some agents maybe have a different type of a uh, vetting process some are maybe very detailed others maybe not as detailed but just Briefly, some of the things that you would need would be you need to immediately show that you can pay the deposit and you can pay the first month's rent. So if you had like a bank statement to show, here's my savings or here's my credit union, here we go, no problem at all. You need to show your, your address, so where are you living at the minute. So if you're living at home or if you're living in a rental property, you have a bank statement or a utility bill to show that, your ID documents to back that up as well proof of employment it's always good to maybe have you know six months maybe 12 months pay slips so that a landlord or an agent can very quickly flick through and see that actually yes this person has been employed for quite a long time and you know they yeah. are sustainable um proof of id proof of address proof of funds is what's needed and references so say for instance if you have rented before a landlord reference would be good to show that you know you, you've paid your rent you've looked after the property that sometimes can be very difficult to get because maybe a landlord isn't keen on providing it a very simple solution would be just search or print out all your bank statements and simply highlight your rent payments for the last 12 months or the last 24 months and very simply you can show bang on you've paid your rent exactly to the date that is due for the last 12 months and that's that you're 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 reliable one thing which can maybe throw a few people off applications and that is pets 
So it's it's a it's a difficult topic to, to talk around because you're either a pet lover or you're not a pet lover, and I think that's what it comes comes down to. Some landlords have maybe had good experiences with pets, and some have had very very bad experience with pets. So. I would say on average, if you were to, to, to carry out a survey, I would say it's easier to find a property if you don't have a pet mm-hmm. compared to if you do have a well, pet. Well, that, that's something I'm going to come on to because I was doing a bit of research about it and it's a, a topic that's actually currently being discussed in the government um, with new legislation. So I'll, I'll touch on that. Um, but there was one of the, the topics that I wanted to go back to was in terms of if... If I go through an agent, for example, um, that agent is representing the landlord. Mm-hmm. So if I put my application in, the agent themselves maybe isn't making the decision, are they? It could potentially be the agents collecting all the information on the behalf of the landlord, and it's mm-hmm. up to the landlord themselves yeah. to make the final decision. Would that be a correct assumption that's, as well? That's where a lot of a lot of disgruntle can come in between a renter making an application and getting a property. So uh, an agent is generally, generally just summarizing that information for the landlord and they may go as far as making a recommendation, but ultimately it is the landlord who makes the decision. Now there might be times where the landlord says to the agent, yep, just work away, you know, make that choice. But normally it's the landlord who makes that that decision or has that authority to make the decision. So if you haven't been chosen or you haven't been picked, it's not down to the agent. The agent shouldn't be blamed or can't be blamed. It's the landlord. And it could just simply be, you know, it's just maybe one wee thing has just knocked the, yeah. the landlord out of making that decision. It could be, because uh, that's what I mean, as we've already discussed, the, the competition's high. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if the, the competition's high and there's been a lot of applications, it, it simply could be a choice of there's five people here and it's luck of the draw. Could be. You know, it's just essentially whatever one kind of hits the top of the pile, I'm going to go for that one. Coin, yeah. You know, so like, because that, that's where. I've seen it as well that a lot of people say about agents and what way they operate but it essentially is nearly like a front between the renter themselves and the landlord Mm -hmm. and and they're the kind of contact agency between the two to make sure that everything's kind of running running smoothly yeah just wanted to make sure that I was right in that Um, so like in terms of the 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 lease agreements and and we've We've talked kind of briefly on lease agreements and stuff, but like what way can you, say for example, you're in a property, you really like it, you're tied into a 12 uh, 12 months tenancy. Like, is there options to renew that? Like kind of what, what way does a renter in terms of like lease terms have, as you said, six months, 12 months is usually the basic, but like where does a renter stand when they're negotiating a potential new lease or, you know, if maybe the landlord themselves thinks I've got a, you know some good tenants here, I kind of want to keep them. Could I offer them a longer tenancy? Are those options or there's no exact science. It's all down to knowing knowing your opponent. So from a tenant point of view, you know you could open up that negotiations. You know, a couple of months before your tenancy expires, or you you wait until the the, the tenancy expires. It could be something where you maybe negotiate say you automatically go to the landlord and say I'll increase my rent to this amount if you lock me in for two years or if you lock me in for for three years for instance 
from a landlord's point of view again depends what their opinion is it might be they might their strategy might be just to maximize the rent and they'll just put it up it might be the case where they think to themselves you know what that's a good tenant i have in there i don't want any hassle of going through you know re-renting it getting it ready maybe just keep the rent as the same and just just let it tick on so there's there's completely no there's no there's no science to it i suppose there, there's certain landlords out there as you say want to maximize it there's other ones want stability yeah and therefore they, easy life an easy life <laughs> so is. you know if they if they can have a property where the the tenant's happy they're happy doing what they're doing around the, that house mm-hmm. um and the, and they're getting a fairly decent average rent mm-hmm. you know with no questions asked i'm sure that you know a lot of tenants or landlords would be quite happy with that as well so it really probably is up for discussion mm-hmm. um as you say well about two months before sort of the generally yes because it, it gives you a bit of time then so that maybe unfortunately if things don't work out and that the tenancy isn't being renewed well then you've got time then to start at looking for to a, start looking for somewhere else the back to the pets mm-hmm. i was reading in and I, I think it is only england specific um, and I think it was only being discussed in May of this year, was the Renters Reform Bill, which is set, if I get my head around this right, set to allow pets, it's essentially to stop people from saying no, advertising no pets. Um, renters would be allowed with pets to come in and obviously agree a tenancy, but if there's any damage I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make sure that I get this right. If there was any damage caused within the property by the pets, mm-hmm. it is covered by insurance. That might be something that that's been discussed in England. You, it's going to be slightly different to here, but you normally find it generally things generally happen in England first, and then they will progress through to. Well, that's what I was gonna just to say. Here that it, um, it is only England that's why I made that point that you know people don't think that in Northern Ireland that it's that it's happening as you say it could be five years or but the way things are ten years it's, it's probably more at the line down the line at the minute more on a discrimination side of things whereby um, a landlord could be held accountable in Northern Ireland it's it's very difficult sometimes some landlords openly will say that they don't want any applications from anybody on on benefits you know, those sorts of things can be very you know difficult and that can open a landlord up, up, up to discrimination yeah and that's what it was only because that that was the point that i was trying to say was that a lot of people are obviously disappointed when they maybe see a house that they really like and it's clearly the, the landlord is clearly saying you know no pets mm-hmm. and they've maybe got a a small dog or a dog that's reasonably you know harmless mm-hmm. whatever quite well trained whatever it happens to be and clearly they're just not getting an option there so i think this this kind of was coming in to maybe allow for look you know this is your pet or whatever if if anything happens within the property the insurance will will take over and i think i think it was gonna i need to do a bit more reading on it but it was coming in alongside the renter's insurance 
which I think that's where I picked that up. So it was so it was the fall in under under that bracket as well. So it'd be interesting to keep an eye on that, you know, coming coming across if, if it does maybe come to Northern Ireland. I don't even think it's went through in England yet, but they're they're definitely talking about it. But a renter, you know, to be ahead of the game you need to think outside the box. So that could be something that a, a renter actually says to a landlord, right, okay, if I've ticked all the boxes but I'm falling down on the pet issue well, yes, I'll take out an insurance policy. They could say, I'll maybe double up my deposit or treble up my deposit. You could go down a guarantor mm-hmm. route or ultimately say, come and inspect my current my current property. Yes. You know, like For instance, I've rented houses, I've managed houses for investors for years. I've come across both sides of the spectrum. I've come across houses where tenants have pets and those houses are absolutely spotless, immaculate, yeah. spotless tidier than anybody's house but unfortunately likewise I've seen the other side of it where I've seen houses which have been completely destroyed with pets you know uh, uh, the skirting boards chewed off you know the claw marks carpets having to be replaced just dirty and destroyed I've seen it all yeah and that's what I'm saying like you know the, and I want to make sure that we get this across that we're on no side here either we're kind of you know we're only here to discuss the 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 way things currently are and and it's a difficult one because you know again it's up to the owners it's up to the owners one of the pets but two of you know the the property themselves they've put a lot of money into you know buying that house maybe doing it up making Mm -hmm. sure that it looks nice and if you've got a pet coming in that's just going to completely destroy that well you know would you really want to pay it then there? At, at, and there's two sides to the coin. As you say, a landlord could be extremely pet friendly, loves animals, and they're kind of going, well, go ahead, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm happy enough with it. So it really is kind of up to the, the discretion of, of that landlord. And then obviously, as you say, from a, a renter's perspective, how you put it across as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ticked all the boxes and, and it gets to that final point, well then, you know, open that discussion and, and explain it. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten you might be able to change the mindset. Yeah. Um so I just wanted to then touch back then about the the rental market in Northern Ireland then. <laughs> like is there certain things as you say then like what would kind of be the nearly the top tips of what of what you should kind of be doing if you're looking to rent a property, you know, is it a case of get your paperwork everything kind of pick and pick probably two to three areas that you're willing to to move you know to live in and i'm talking about maybe not only in one town but maybe other towns because that'll open up your your availability of properties next of all then have your have your paperwork in place and thirdly have your money sitting ready because a lot of people look about renting a house but they maybe don't have a have a deposit and uh, maybe fourth of all, maybe just to have a, a backup is maybe have a guarantor behind you as well and have all that paperwork sitting ready so that you're sitting there basically at top of you know, top of the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's me. I've run out of my notes now, so I don't really want to go into any more topics. As I says, there's probably the flip side that we could very easily go into, which is going to be, you know, from a landlord's perspective and maybe get involved in the rental market, as in I own a property. I know I want to, to be able to rent it out, but uh, we'll maybe save that for another episode as well, along with the co-ownership and everything else yeah. that we kind of have went into there. Um, but I think that'll do us for, for, for this week's episode and uh, that's your should be 
a very good basic introduction to to the rental market so thank you very much Roy thank uh, you Chris everyone else if you want to give us all a follow on the property journey podcast beginner day expert we are currently from what I believe on the majority of streaming platforms where you find your your Google podcasts and Spotify YouTube as well so um, stay tuned uh, there'll be lots more episodes coming up very very soon and uh, as I said we'll get into plenty more uh, topics over the next while perfect thank you